hear from Nick. Nick's going to come and continue our series on the kingdom of God. Let's give Nick a warm welcome as he comes and shares. Let's just pray again. Father, we just, um, we are uh, foolish, um, blind sinners, Lord, without you. Uh, We acknowledge that, Lord. We lack wisdom. We lack understanding. We lack light. We think sometimes that we're cleverer than we are, Lord. But all wisdom comes from you. And we humble ourselves this morning in Jesus' name. Just ask, Lord, that you would give light to live by, Lord. Light to understand. Light to love, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um. I was, uh, yeah, Joe, on the car on the way here, uh, read, read that, that, that old hymn out uh, to me. And actually, I grabbed the, one of the verses of it, and I've got it up here, because I think it's very relevant to what we're talking about this morning. Um, uh, I'm talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom in the future. And if there are two things that kind of get Christians going um, and um, uh, ungracious to one another... Um, and very polarized in this very polarized world. I mean, it's, I've never known a time in my life, you know, where there has been this polarization of, of, of views in, in a number of different areas. And when you talk about Israel and the church and the end times, go on the internet and there's, you know, lots to be said in a big battle. And I think we just need incredible grace and incredible humility in dealing with this. And there are people uh, who have, who, uh, that I respect greatly on different sides of different arguments. And I think we just have to, to say, God, help us, give us wisdom, help us understand your word. And uh, the verse three of this hymn, which is written by a guy called Fullerton in 1920, uh, says this, and it's very relevant, I think, to us this morning. I cannot tell, I cannot tell, Maybe you can, but I cannot tell how he will win the nations. The things I'm going to be talking about this morning, I don't know the detail. There's some things I can't imagine how this is going to work out in the end. I don't know how he will win the nations, how he will claim his earthly heritage, how satisfy the needs and aspirations of East and West, of sinners and of sage. Do you know? I don't know. It's very complex, isn't it? And if anybody thinks they know, then they probably don't. But this know, all flesh shall see his glory, and he shall reap the harvest he has sown. And some glad day his sun shall shine in splendor when he, the savior of the world, is known. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? We don't know, but we do know that one day his sun will shine. You know, when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you have this incredible world in the Garden of Eden. It's actually described in the Bible as paradise. And actually, when you go to the end of Revelation, in the last couple of chapters, you've got paradise. But it's everything in between is the thing that we have to get to grips with, and it's hard to understand. Um, but we must, we, we mustn't um, just try and make God the way we want Him to be. God is not a humanist. God is God, 
and uh, his word is true. And we need to let his word form um, our opinions above all, rather than read in our own views and even our own wishes. So humility this morning and grace. God help us. I'm talking this morning about the kingdom of God in the future. We talked about the kingdom as a whole, the whole picture. Uh, we talked about, uh, Ivan gave a great word on how we enter the kingdom. Last week, Bob talked about the kingdom of God now. And uh, I want to talk this morning about the kingdom of God in the future and what the Bible says about that. And I want to just recap a little bit before I do that, because you kind of have to understand some basic things in order to understand and to put into context the future. Psalm 103.19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. The kingdom of God is where God Rules. That is the definition of the kingdom of God. And this isn't past. This isn't future. This is forever. He has established there is a throne in the heavens and his kingdom right now is ruling over all as he puts everything gradually in its place. And we saw in uh, the book of Daniel, Daniel 2, um, uh, where God gave to Nebuchadnezzar a dream of this statue. And God and people predicted this different ways, but it's, 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 it, we are told that this was a prediction of empires that were coming, the future. And at the end of that, and it would have then been, because after that was the Persian and the the, um, uh, the Greek and the Roman Empire. And it says in there, Daniel 2.44, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. This is the kingdom of God predicted in the Old Testament. A kingdom will be set up at the time of those kings, and that was Jesus setting up his kingdom. And then it goes on, and um, in Isaiah 9, 6-7, it predicts the king. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government, the responsibility, wouldn't it be wonderful today if that was true of all our nations? The government was on his shoulder, and his name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government from the time of Jesus, and of peace there will be no end. The thing that Jesus started will not have an end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, will do this. And then there was a a big gap between that prediction and when Jesus came. And the expectation of the Jews at the time could be summarized in what the angel Gabriel came one day to this young teenage girl. And this is what he said to her. He said, The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. What did Mary think? 
because it turned out so differently for her as she, as she was there at the foot of the cross watching her own son crucified. She must have thought, what was Gabriel on about? You know, he's going to have the throne of his father, David. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom, there will be no end. Did Gabriel get it wrong? No, it was the future. It was the future. And on that, uh, the eve of the cross, they were taking the Lord's Supper. As we have been doing, we've been taking what we were uh, told to do at the Last Supper. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So on the night before Jesus was crucified, he had this meal. He said, I've, I've really wanted to do this. I've earnestly desired. He, he so wanted to share that meal with them. And he said, I'm not going to do this again until I'm drinking it with you new in my Father's kingdom. And he's talking about the future there. And all the time that Jesus was, was um, uh, on earth in the three and a half years of his ministry, he was preaching the kingdom of God. I so wish there was a, someone had taken a video of that. I would so love to have known what that, that gospel encapsulated, but there's lots of it in the New Testament that we can get hold of. The gospel of the kingdom. And then it says... Um, yeah, so that prediction of when Jesus will take it again, um, one of the commentaries that, that I, I look at when I'm trying to understand things, I try to read the Bible, uh, pray about it, try to understand it myself, and then I'll maybe look at commentaries that other people have written so that I can get more understanding on something. One of the ones I like, any of you can look this up, it's called the Enduring Word Commentary. Uh, it's on an app, it's by a guy called Guzik, very modern commentary, and um, he He says this, Jesus looked forward to a future celebration of the Passover in heaven, one that he has not yet celebrated with his people. He is waiting for all his people down time to be gathered to him. And then there will be a great supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's in Revelation 19.9. We might just look at that verse in a minute. And then... After the Last Supper, the cross, what appeared to be one of the greatest failures of any leader. If you were trying to start a worldwide movement that in our day would encapsulate a third of the earth, you wouldn't start it by being crucified, would you? But there he was, uh, crucified by the Romans, and um, and uh, and that was an apparent failure. But actually, it was the greatest success because God's plan was that he would take the lowest place that he might gain the highest place. Philippians 2.8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, the spirit of Jesus is so different to the spirit of the world, which is so proud and so aggressive. But Jesus, his moment of greatest success, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. What does it say? It says, so that the purpose of his humiliation was that at the name of Jesus, 
every, every, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The purpose of the cross was that one day every knee would bow. Every Christian, every non-Christian, every Jew, every Gentile, every world leader that was good or bad, every politician, every mother, every child, every knee would bow to the name of Jesus. And we should rejoice in that, shouldn't we? When we're singing these songs, we should rejoice that Jesus is Lord. And then it says in Hebrews to echo that, since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, through the cross, through the cross. So although we're going to talk about the victory of Jesus in time, the victory was won at Calvary. It was through death. He destroyed the one who had the power of death. That is the devil. The victory is already ours. The victory has been won. When he cried from the cross, it is finished. It was finished. And the victory was won. When we took the bread and the wine this morning, this is what we were doing. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, what are you doing? What are you doing? What were we doing? We were proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And our job as a church in what is now the age of the church is to proclaim the death of Jesus. And we have to remember that because we could, we could proclaim some humanitarian thing. We could become, be, uh, just declare that everyone should be nice to everybody else. But we have one message to preach and that is the death of Jesus Christ. I mean, we must remember to keep that right at the front and central. Paul said, I won't speak about any, I've made up my mind not to speak about anything else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it, it must remain central. And then in Acts, um, when the Holy Spirit was about to be poured out and this age of the church was about to begin, this thing that was hidden for all time, nobody understood, nobody knew that this was coming, that Jew and Gentile would be together to form this body of Christ. He said in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So that is our ministry it has been for 2000 years it is in our generation that we have we are have we are the continuation of what jesus did and taught. So when you're with your friends um, at work when we're in the crescent when we're with our neighbors we are there to do and teach what jesus did and taught. Plain and simple. So everything else from there is the mopping up operation. And we're going to have a very brief look at the book of Revelation. Most of it I'm going to skip through because there's far too much in there for this morning. But just bring out some of the things in there, some of the headlines. But what happens in the book of of Revelation, particularly in the the last two-thirds of the book of Revelation, is what I call the mopping 
up operation. Somebody once called the mopping up operation. I looked it up in the dictionary. What does that word, that phrase mean? It's an operation after a battle or campaign to root out remaining enemy forces or installations. So after the battle has officially been won, like in the Second World War, there was, there was um, Victory in Europe Day. There was Victory in Japan Day. But actually, all the arms weren't laid down on that day. There was still a mopping up operation that needed to happen. Revelation 1, verse 5, where it's this incredible description of who Jesus is. Do read the book of Revelation and say, Lord, could you reveal yourself to me in this book? There are amazing and wonderful and beautiful things about Jesus in the book of Revelation that we would miss if we only read the Gospels. It's like the end bit is actually, uh, uh, some of it is reserved for the book of Revelation. And it says, and this, this message came from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And I love in that that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. Some people interpret that, that wherever you see Israel in the, in the uh, book of Revelation, it's the church. And I respect that view, but I don't see it myself. Um, I think that, it, that often, if it's talking about Israel, it probably is Israel, unless God gives us another reason to think it's just a picture of the church. Um, but that's just my point of view. But what I do know is that he is a faithful witness. And where God has made promises to Israel... And to many of the nations, different nations in the Old Testament, read the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. There are promises for other nations apart from Israel there. Amazing promises. He is faithful and he will fulfill his promises. To Israel, if you read the book of Zechariah, there is a day coming where it says that every Every Jewish eye will see him. There will be a great mourning. There will be a great turning as a nation to God. I don't know when that is. Maybe you do. I don't know exactly where that fits into the plan. But I'm just thrilled that when God says something, he means it and he will fulfill it. Um, Like that hymn said, I know not how. And a lot of the book of Revelation is about Jesus conquering and winning the victory, this uh, this mopping up operation. It talks about how he will defeat and destroy the devil very clearly, throw him into the lake of fire, the Antichrist. No, no time to go into who the Antichrist is, the false prophet, except that they were a kind of shadow cabinet where the devil, in one sense, sets himself as God. The Antichrist sets himself up as the Christ, and the false prophet does the signs and wonders a bit like the Holy Spirit. It's like, you know, a, sh- a shadow of the real thing. But they are all destroyed. In the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus is, is uh, uh, just, uh, everybody comes before the great white throne and the nations are judged and people are judged because God is the judge as Abraham said when he was talking to God shall not the judge of the whole earth do right it's a funny thing this thing of judgment it's like you know we want justice in all sorts of situations somebody does something really bad uh, in this world uh, we want them locked up we want them punished 
But actually, many people think, but God hasn't got a right to judge people. When justice comes from him and the judge of the whole earth, whether we agree with how it's done or not, Abraham said, shall not the judge of the whole earth do right? He is the righteous judge. He will judge the nations and every human being. The good news is for us is that Jesus has already taken the judgment, our judgment on himself. All the sins of the world he took on himself so that if we will receive him and receive forgiveness, we do not stand in the judgment. That is the good news of the kingdom of God. And then this beautiful thing, 1 Corinthians 15, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority. And I pointed out a couple of weeks ago, this isn't John writing this. Incidentally, John was the apostle of love. Maybe that's why God gave it to John to, to, to uh, write the book of Revelation. But this is Paul. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. He must reign. He is reigning now. And he must reign until the mopping up operation has finished and everything is under his feet. Verse 26 says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And what we're talking about, Luke was praying about earlier, is death on a big scale. Death is the terrible enemy of humanity. It's a thing actually in the Garden of Eden that was never intended for us. I was at a funeral last last week. It was a beautiful funeral, but it was a very sad funeral as well because it's like that bit kind of we weren't really made for and God has to give us grace to handle it. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. But there's another kind of conquering that needs to be done. And I believe that this is the conquering of our hearts. And the whole thing happened because God gave to human beings free will. He gave Adam and Eve free will. He gives to us free will. Sometimes we might wish that he didn't give us free will, but he has done because he wants love. He wants a willing response to himself. Revelation 19.6 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. So this huge multitude at the end of Revelation, they're singing and they're worshipping and they're praising and they're saying, Hallelujah, that means praise Yahweh, praise God, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And what are they praising him about? Let us rejoice, it says, verse 7, and exult and give him the glory. Why? Because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. What an extraordinary thing that this awesome king, this mighty God, this ruler, this judge, this creator of the heavens and the earth would want to marry me and you. 
it's too big for our minds, isn't it? That God would want a relationship with humanity, where, which is more intimate and more close than anything that we could imagine. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And what's happened? The bride has made herself ready. We can do that this morning, can't we? This is us becoming more like Jesus. This is obeying him. This is letting the Holy Spirit work in our lives until the beauty of Jesus is seen in us more and more. And he has prepared an eternal home for his bride. Heaven is a wonderful place. We used to sing a song. I'm not going to sing it to you. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory of grace. I'm going to see you in that place. Heaven is a wonderful place. Heaven is a wonderful place. We need to read the book of Revelation and see what it's going to be like. These verses are often read at funerals, and they were um, at uh, the funeral uh, to Joao's funeral on Thursday. Um, I heard a loud voice from the throne This is Revelation 21, 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Didn't you feel that this morning? The moment I came in this morning, God's people gathered together, praying together, loving one another. More God, more. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. I believe that the church should be the foretaste of heaven to this world. We are here to bring heaven to earth. To be that bit of heaven in this terrible world where people are in distress and in sorrow and bad things happen in their lives. We can be Jesus to them. We can be heaven to them. And what does he do? And this reveals the true nature of God. What does God want to do? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. In verse 4 it says, well, no, verse 3, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. There's a lot of worship in heaven. But we're not going to be sitting in heaven worshiping all day. If you read the book of Revelation, there's a number of different things going on there. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be better than anything we can imagine. I want to talk about the Bible this morning, not about personal experience. But it's very interesting sometimes to hear uh, the testimony of some people that died um, and went to heaven and came back. Uh, when Joe and I got engaged um, uh, many years ago, on the day of our engagement, there was a man at lunch in Richmond with Joe's parents who was a well-known teacher called Judson Cornwall. He wrote a book about heaven. And for much of his ministry, at the end of his life, he taught about heaven. And during that time, his youngest daughter was in a car accident and was terribly, terribly ill. Um, I think she was in a coma. I must just check the facts. But certainly, she went to heaven. And she came back and she said, uh, she said to Judson Cornwall, Dad, she said, it was just like you preached in your sermons, except much better, except much better. Heaven is a wonderful place and we've got something to look forward to there. It says night, uh, they will see his face. That's going to be good. 
His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Finally, just want to uh, just go back to what Ivan talked about uh, a few weeks ago, about how do we get there? How do we get there? And how do we get our friends to get there? Because that's what really what we want to do. That's our mission on this earth, to preach the good news to all creation, to make disciples of every nation. How do we get there? Just going to read one story to explain that. Really beautiful story. It's on the cross. Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, shouted at him. And actually, in, in two of the other Gospels, it said that they both railed against him, both thieves. So something happened in the heart of that one thief that turned around. While he was on the cross, he started by railing at Jesus, by shouting at him, by yelling at him. He joined the other criminal. And then something happened. One of the criminals said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. I love that. The testimony is so much there in the stories of the cross. The centurion, surely this was the son of God. Pilate's wife have nothing to do with this righteous man. Pilate, I find no fault in him. Declaration after declaration after declaration that he was the righteous one. He was the spotless lamb. He was the only perfect human being there has ever been because he was to be that perfect sacrifice. Don't you fear God? We indeed justly, but he's done nothing wrong. And then it says in verse 42, and he said these words, and this is all our friends have to say. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just those words. He didn't have time to go to any meetings. He didn't have time to go to a Bible study. He didn't have time to go to Alpha. He couldn't do any good works. He had nothing to offer but a broken heart, a repentant heart. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He humbled himself and said, Lord, just remember me. The baby awakes. (laughs) The cattle are lowing. (laughs) And what did Jesus say to him? He said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. Today. Not in 2,000 years' time, but today. The Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The day, the moment he died, he was with the Lord in heaven, waiting for his resurrection body. Uh, Paradise is described by somebody as the, 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 the place in heaven we wait for our resurrection bodies. But who knows? He stepped into eternity. It could have all just been one thing. And, uh, and it was just time was all wrapped into a moment. But whatever, Jesus said, you're going to be with me today in paradise because of what Jesus was about to do, which was to die for our sins and to be raised from the dead. Let's pray, shall we? I think it would be really nice, actually, if I just took the microphone and just passed it around for a moment and just... 
uh, what, as, as you wish, just to thank Jesus for what he's done um, for us. Anybody want to just pray uh, a, a prayer of thanks or just something they want to pray? Uh, We've just got a moment. Be great to just respond. Let's all pray. Jesus, thank you so much, Lord. Um, I think sometimes we, uh, our eyes and our hearts get sort of like clouded uh, by uh, the things that go on around us and in everyday life, Lord. And sometimes we can forget, Lord. But um, uh, in your faithfulness and by your grace and mercy, Lord, you're always there. Your spirit is there to remind us, Lord, of uh, what you what you did on the cross, Lord, um, how you did defeat sin and death, Lord God. And, uh, yeah, we give you thanks, Lord God, because one day we will be in that kingdom, Lord, mm. where righteousness abounds, Lord, where there's peace, where there's joy. Lord, I thank you that you've called everybody here by name, Lord. Um, you've written our names in the book of life, Lord God. And so we're grateful um, we can't give anything about our lives, Lord God. And so, um, um, yeah, we give our lives again to you today, Lord God. Um, thank you so much, Lord. We bless you. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that your work is complete. You mm. said it's finished. And help us to stand on this solid foundation in everyday life. Amen. Amen. It says the bride has made herself ready. Lord, we just come to you today and we just say, Lord, work in our hearts, Lord. We want to be ready. Lord, we want to be like Jesus. Help us to become more like him, Lord. Thank you for, you demonstrated through your son, Father, what you were really like. He was a faithful witness to who you are, Lord. He was perfect love. He was perfect holiness. On that last day, he was perfect justice, Lord. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you move upon our hearts in these days and help us to be more like you, that when we meet people who are very bitter through the things of life, bitter in their own opinions, arguing, angry, Father, that we would have something different, Lord. We would have your gentleness, your patience, your kindness, your long-suffering, your meekness, Lord. Father, put something different in our hearts in these days. Amen. Let's just, um, we've got a few minutes before the coffee, or we can have our coffee early. Nice time to just catch up with each other, have a chat, have a pray. Um, But let's not lose the sense of what we've done this morning. We've taken the Lord's Supper, we've remembered his death, and we're on a journey to become more like him. So, yeah, feel free to chat to your friends, say, is there anything I can pray for you, anything I can do for you, and we'll just enjoy each other's company for a while.